Hey there, I'm Alan Furstenberg. And I am Mark Tucker, and we are Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. Welcome back, everyone. And as always, it is fantastic to see you, Mark. Thank you. Same with you. It's been uh, a little bit since we've talked. And, a little bit. Uh, we, we took a, a break in there because we had a, a backlog that we could catch up with, fortunately. Yeah, but it's definitely good to, to you know, we're getting towards the end of the week, and it's nice to, to spend a little time with you talking about whatever we're going to talk about today with uh, you know, developing for voice uh, assistance and uh, the technology behind it. It is. You know, it's funny. Um, we, we record these uh, usually a week or two ahead of time, as, as most people know. And I discovered earlier today that it had been two years since I first started joining Voice Lunch. Oh, and man, that's cool. It's just it's it's amazing to see the people that were on that first one. <laughs> and just to think about all the, the conversations that have taken place since then. Yeah, um, all the people that have met and the yeah, you know, conversations in voice lunch and outside now right. that we're friends on, on social media. It's just been, it's been wild. Um, and, you know, it's always fun talking with people outside voice lunch, either on Twitter or on LinkedIn or in my office hours, I get all sorts of, of interesting questions sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of alluded to one on, on Twitter uh, a few days ago that uh, Dana, who has been um, the the basis for a number of questions here. Thanks, uh, Dana. As always, thank you, Dana. Um, Asked a question in office hours, and we dug through it and eventually solved the problem. But it got me thinking that this is, it's actually a really, really common problem that we see with people who are accessing databases primarily. And I thought that might be something that we can talk a little bit about today or, you know, some of the, the challenges that we end up with when we try to access databases and then get them into a voice response. Um, and just, you know, how in general we can, we use databases. Wow. Databases. That's, <laughs> that's been something. <laughs> Tiny topic. Nothing. Tiny topic. Well, you know, that, that, that takes me back to, um, for one of my courses in, in college, I had the, the, the SQL 92 standard book <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, it was, it was still, you know, fairly new, just a few years old. And, um, wow, I, I took a database class and, 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 and so it's just, uh, I, you know, SQL databases is, is where things started for me. Well, the funny thing is, I know that feeling well, the database class that I took in college um, and I still have that book, only dedicates about a third of the book to SQL databases. The rest of it um, discusses various other database technologies that were very popular at the time, including network databases, where you had um, databases that had objects and these objects pointed at other objects, you know, other records. And it was, it was very interesting and large parts of the book talked about database optimization. And when they meant optimization, yeah. they meant how do you store stuff on the disk so that when the, the read, head, so as the disk was spinning and the read head would come around to the data that you needed to read, it was most likely to be there as opposed to having to spin the disk around again. That was database optimization in those days. It's not crazy. We're, you know, we're talking about disk heads. We're talking about, oh, right. man. 
Things and, have changed. Right. And now mostly, you know, we're, we're thinking about, you know, we're, our disks are solid state drives in a lot of mm-hmm. cases. And we're talking about optimizations about doing caching to more nearby memory. And we're not just talking about SQL anymore. We're talking yeah. about all sorts of um, no SQL and object databases and so forth. So uh, it's always interesting to see how things, both how things change but also how things remain the same in a lot of ways. Well, and you also have not just you know, kind of NoSQL, but you have kind of this hybrid kind of coming from the, the spreadsheet side of things. You've got things that could be spreadsheets, but are like spreadsheets plus plus, um, you know, things like Airtable or, or Monday or, or things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and also you've got interesting databases where they're pushing you data. You know, if you make a query yeah. once, and as long as you keep that connection open, you just keep getting more data that keeps coming in. Right. Or, you know, we now have to deal with the fact that, you know, we can specify page sizes of how much data we want at a time and mm-hmm. get it in those chunks that we want it. So lots of things that we need to think about that, you know, the SQL 92 standard yeah. <laughs> didn't think about. Yeah, think, things about, you know, Dividing things up into tables and join tables and inner joins, outer joins, um, you know, different normal forms, all that, all the stuff that you would need to do for a SQL database. I haven't had to think about that for a long time, actually. Um, <laughs> on the stuff that I've I've worked with, and well, uh, part of, part of it is that the databases have optimized a lot of that mm-hmm. internally. And some of that is that our considerations have changed. You know, it used to be that the databases were structured to generate reports. So, you know, we would be thinking about large tables, massive tables that ran a report once a week. And you just needed to make sure the report was done by 9 a.m. or whatever. Now we need to think about, you know, queries and make sure the query returns in under five seconds yeah, because exactly. that's how long we have to give a reply to the user by voice. Yeah, and it's also changed in the fact that sometimes, well, it used to be you made a connection to your database server and you sent you know queries to your database and got values back. But now more and more you're you're exposing the CRUD operations, you know, create, read, update, delete um, from your database through like a REST endpoint or GraphQL. Or, or something else so that in essence, um, your data store is more of an API now as opposed to a separate, you know, treated differently connection directly to a database. No, that's a great point. And, and even queries now are more, what we used to call query by example. Yeah. So, I mean, that used to be a, a really, really popular term for a while. And now it's just kind of, yeah, we're just, you know, telling you <laughs> which fields we want, which values to match, and you send us the matches. You know, yep. yeah, it, it doesn't seem as uh, as big a deal anymore. So what kind of databases have you used, um, like on the NoSQL side of things? Like most of what I do is like DynamoDB. Um, and I've, I've used DynamoDB, and I do a lot with Firebase and Firestore. Right. And they're all similar they're not identical but they're all similar they have the same kind of flavor to them yeah and we'll kind of throw mongodb in in kind of in that mix and i would even say that you know some of the queries that you can do with airtable 
are also kind of that, that same sort of flavor because they're, they're largely query by example, especially on things like uh, DynamoDB and Firebase, you're kind of limited that you can efficiently only really do queries against indexes that you've already defined. Mm-hmm. Um, and they limit those to make sure that you've got speedy returns, that, you know, that, that it can return the value quickly. Yeah, Which and so it's in good in yeah. our case, <laughs> and 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 there's kind of like a little bit different flavors, like yeah, like in Mongo, you're you're dealing with documents, um, which you know are just really JSON um, in the in the end, whereas um, like DynamoDB, in the end, it's it's kind of more of like a key value store in some ways, but it's got like a partition key and a sort key. Um, and I came across a few years ago, a really interesting uh, book by Alex Debris. Um, and it's a continuation of work that others have done um, at, uh, at Amazon, but it's this uh, concept of single table design where you don't have multiple tables in DynamoDB to deal with, you know, people and, you know, things and, and you know, that you merge those together all into one uh, one table and you use partition keys and sort keys and indexes to get get things out of that table. I think that's one of the things that has been hardest for me to unlearn yeah. when I work with DynamoDB is that you really, you, you know, most of your stuff will be in one table and you use the partition key to, to kind of differentiate between the, the kinds of data that you're looking yeah. for. Um, yeah, you can you and you can like prefix something. Maybe something has an ID, but you prefix that with like person or user or score or you know whatever it is, and then you can either grab something directly by um, by the whole key, which includes the the like the identif the well the identifier and like the the selector, I guess, like or like what would be the table. Um, um, or you can say, I just want things to start with users and it will give you back in the, in the sort key order, uh, kind of like a, you know, a whole you know, table scan of, the, of everything right. that's well, in that person table. And, and, and the great thing about it is that, you know, if you, you know, filter on a partition and then give a, a range for your sort yep. key, it can do that fairly efficiently because as the name implies, the sort key is sorted. So if you give it a start range and an end, you know, a start and end to the range, it can go right there, go straight through and then be done. It doesn't have to do anything like resort it. You know, there's no optimization along those lines. And indexes work exactly the same way. Since they're indexed, which is really creating an artificial sort key, um, it has, you know, it knows the start, it knows the end, it goes through the records and gets them back to you. Uh, Firebase is similar. It's the same, and it's it's similar. It doesn't have the notion of a partition key, but all it has is one huge object table, and from there you can put indexes on it. And those indexes, you can say, "Give me all the stuff for this index between here and here," and it can literally just go straight through it and and pull up the value, the results for you. You know, so so similar concepts on those. I think the big challenge for uh, voice developers, particularly when dealing with all of those, is that, and especially when we're working with 
uh, JavaScript and, and Node.js is that these operations are asynchronous operations. Yeah. So we need to keep in mind that when we do a query, we either need to await it or um, use a, a promise or a callback on some sort. And then we start getting into challenges. Well, okay, how do we do that asynchronously when Alexa or Google is expecting a response essentially synchronously? Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times I ended up just awaiting for the um, for the response because you know I don't want to be in that situation where yep. you're done with the, you're you're done and sending the response back and you finally actually getting the data and well, and, and that's always the problem is yeah. that, you know, the first time you tend to try it because you're going to try it the first time, you're going to put in console logs, right? Because everyone does. That's how you know it works. Yeah. <laughs> um, you've, you've taken the code from, and, and this was the problem that we encountered with, with Dana, is that the code sample from Airtable didn't use async and await. It used a callback. So in the callback function, you did the console logs and you can see, sure enough, it was making the call, it was getting the data back. It was looping through the data and printing it out. And it seems like it should work. But what ends up happening with JavaScript is that that callback function is, is that the, the way it gets set up is that it, it kind of makes the query and then goes on to the next statement in your program, right? which on a voice agent tends to be the thing that says, send this response back to the user. Yeah. And you don't understand why Alexa or Google says, you know, you didn't send me back a message and you're looking in your console log saying, but I, I, I clearly am getting the data and I'm sending yeah. it to the variable that I expect. <laughs> why didn't this work? And the reason why it didn't work is because your callback function got called after your reply got sent back. Yeah. And to untangle that, the easiest way is to use await. Um, await for the response to come back, go through the response to get the data that you need, build your reply, and then send that reply. And that's JavaScript, it doesn't make it hard, but it doesn't make it obvious in a lot of cases that that's what's going on. Yeah. And that, that confuses a lot of users. Yeah. Because you, you know, well, because of changes in JavaScript over the years where it started with callbacks and then you could do thens and then you can do. Well, well remember in, in node, even before callbacks, you had event handling. Oh, so, man. well, that's, that predates me on that. Oh, oh, it used to be, <laughs> I mean, it was in some ways it was kind of brilliant. You would say, you know, I'm gonna make this network request and I have an event handler that says when I get the headers and I have another event handler that says when the data starts to come in and another event that says I've gotten another chunk of data and then another event handler that says all of the data is here. So you set up event handlers to collect the data as it comes in and store it in a variable. And when it's done, then you do your processing. It was it was elaborate and complicated, but it worked. And yeah. it was very JavaScript-y. JavaScript always had this notion of events. So doing it that way kind of made sense, but man, it was hard to follow sometimes. 
Um, and then we had callback functions. Yeah, no. So I, th I, I think I've stumbled across some of that older, older code where I'm like, and, and yeah, and I think there's even some things that, that still do that, but yeah, it's, so the JavaScript has changed over, over time, um, which is complicated. Plus you can use node for various things. It doesn't, you know, a voice app, a web app, a, you know, console scripting, there's all kinds of ways that you can use Node. And so um, some of the examples that you get might be you know, focused or biased towards one of those you know, formats and, and, and uh, uses, and you're, you don't necessarily know. You're like, oh, this is a good, short, succinct example. I'm just gonna use that. And then, you know, then you're like, oh, not sure what's going on. And it, it could be challenging. Right, and you know, if, if the documentation doesn't make clear, this returns a promise, or you are, I don't know what a promise is, because that was, you know, in that intermediate period in between when callbacks were popular and async await was popular. Yep. Um, there was this brief time that we had promises that we needed to use, and uh, and th and, th and then there were like libraries that did promises before promises were baked into Node. Right, so. <laughs> and, and libraries that do things like if you pass it a callback function, it'll call the callback function. Otherwise it will return a promise. So, you know, it works for every, you know, legacy code still works, new code yeah. still works. So there's, there's still a lot that's confusing out there. Um, but either way, you know, promise, almost everybody supports promises these days. Well, this is an interesting kind of a, a sideline on, on promises is that, you know, I've hit situations where, and this, this is the, the bane of uh, any voice developer is a chatty REST API <laughs> um, where you're like, I'm going to get a list of restaurants and I need to get, um, for those restaurants, I need to get the details of the restaurant that includes the address and other things. And for that, Restaurant. I also need to get calendars of when it's when it's open, and then I you could, for example, here, here's a here's here's a like a, a scenario. Let's say that you get back, uh, you want to get recent orders or something, and it and the API call gives you a, um, a, a list of the most recent five orders. So then you'd have to check each of those or go through each of those orders find the restaurants that pertain to each of those orders. You might need to, maybe it's just the order kind of summary information and to get details, you'd need to make an API call for each of those um, orders. Um, and before you know it, you've got 20 API calls that you need to make as part of this you know, even just kind of setting up the like, welcome, your last order was blah, 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 at location, such and such, right? But in, in some cases, you're just, you're out of luck. If there's that many and you have to do it in serial, then there's just not enough time in that, you know, five to seven seconds that you've got. If you luck out though, there might be situations where you could make a whole bunch of calls in parallel um, so a whole bunch of promises and then bring those back in and then, and then deal, deal with it. So in essence, the, you know, the length of time is the length of time of the longest API call is the most that you have to wait. 
And then you have like these 20 results that you have to then compute and you know, do whatever. So that's great. Um, but this is something that I ran across um, in a project recently where I was using a, um, a promise and I was doing it in parallel. Um, and it actually, one was dependent on the other. And it's, even though I listed A and then B, it's not guaranteed to execute in the order that it was in the array. Mm -hmm. So what was happening is that I really needed to call A to set up something in my back end so that when B got called, then it was valid, Ooh. but it was calling B before A. That's yeah. Dependent and dependencies like that are hard to figure out sometimes. Yeah. Cause we expect each of our database calls to be independent of the others. Yep. So that kind of thing can be really tricky to figure out. Yeah. What, one of the challenges that I see a lot of is that and not so much in voice, because usually in voice, we don't need to get 20 stores, but you know we want to get a list of five stores. Mm -hmm. So currently, a lot of uh, databases, when you make a call, they'll return uh, page sets or pages of results. So it used to be when you did an SQL query, you would set up something called a cursor. Yep. And uh, at each it's kind of like a loop. I don't know why they gave it a different name. Yeah. But each each loop through the cursor would give you one more result. Yeah. Nowadays, moved, in essence, move the index or the pointer right. to the next one. Yeah. Nowadays, what we see is that you're you're tending to do more like get batches of five or ten results at a time. Yeah. Um, and then using some kind of method to say, get me the next page of data. And that's because that's how, you know, websites like to operate is operate on a, you know, they like to show 10 items or 20 items or whatever. And there's no point in fetching a hundred items when yeah. you just need 20 items at a time. Yeah. What you would like to know is like, here are the 10 or 20 items, but I also want to know the count of everything that would have returned right. in the query. So you're like, you have 312 results. The first five are this, 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 this. Right. Yeah. And, you know, so we need to increasingly structure our, our calls or make sure that our databases can handle as part of the queries, returning both the total number of records and just returning a page size of five or whatever. Yep. Because um, that, in voice, that's great to handle. And then be able to say, okay, if the user says, you know, keep track of that page index, so that when the user says, give me the next page, we can now go to the database and say, oh yeah, give me the next page. Um, so you, you have things like um, a next page identifier. So you can just say, I don't need to rerun this query. Just give me whatever the next set of data from this identifier would be. Yeah, just so just store as a session variable what the... Right. Um, yeah. So what a lot of times I, you know, I make that API call and I in session storage, um, then I, then I keep the results of that, that query. So I've got the five items in memory and I have a, a you know, a pointer to like, I'm at index zero. Um, cause I, I could deal with it a number of different ways. I could still on the UI iterate through them one at a time. If I've got a lot of information that I need to give about each item, but if I wanted to just give, like, like if it's movies, like 
three movies that are, are close to you are this, this, and this. If I'm just reading off the titles, then maybe I want to, I want to say all three of those at once. Right. And the user then may say something like, well, tell me more. What are the times for this one? Yep. And if your query has been done well, you can keep that information in the session storage and not have to go make database queries again. Yeah. And if they say, if they say more, then you can say, oh, I, I can either, if I still have that value, if I had fetched 10 and I'm only doing three at a time or whatever it is, then I could just, you know, kind of still use the, the results that I cached uh, in session and get the, get the next thing out. Um, or I'd, maybe I just want the page size to be whatever I can. So when they say more, it's going to go ahead and fetch the next page of information. Yep. But, but also sometimes what you might want to do, um, at least it used to be when you, when you asked uh, uh, Alexa for like movies, it would tell you via voice that there were like, these are the three or four, but you know, definitely less than five. Um, but then if you've got an echo show, then it might show you a list of 10 or 20. Mm -hmm. So you, it, it would read off the ones that you had uh, via voice, but then you could, you know, slide over and tap and, you know, take over with touch with a, with a bigger result set. So definitely an important, an important consideration. Another big consideration though, especially when you're dealing with a lot of data is, and this is surprising how long it will take to send back the data. Yep. You know, so you might say, well, you know, my, my, my database record has, uh, for each movie, it's got, you know, it'll return all of the theaters and all of the times for all the theaters and the prices for each one and all the, uh, you know, the list of the stars. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. I can get a huge chunk of data. So I might as well take it all. Um, but returning all that data may take, you know, a second. Whereas if you only return, you know, smaller chunks of that data, it may take half a second. Yep. And that doesn't seem like a lot, but, and I know I keep coming back to this. We only have five seconds to reply. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's also, there's also strategies that you have to think of with that. I, I know it's different on Google, but on, on Alexa, you could put something in session storage, which means that it's kind of like a cookie or you know, set of values that gets passed as part of the response. Right, session storage is the same between the two, more or less. Okay, so it, it returns it back. And so then in essence, on, uh, as part of the response, and then on the next request, those same values are passed back in. Well, that could add, depending on what you put in there, could add quite a bit to it. Actually, um, that, that's a good point because session storage size and response size is limited on both both platforms. And I don't remember what the limit is, but you can't just assume that you can put, you know, gigabytes of information and assume Oh yeah, you know, you can't. Well, and that what typically happens if you're doing something that on, uh, with that has a big result set and you're going through a list of things and you also want to show the list of things in the UI with APL, then the APL that includes the list of items and the data is also being returned. So now you just got this data Double you know, the size in some yeah, cases. Yeah, you've got the yeah. data in lots of different things. Uh, and, and, um, and so there's just a, a lot going on. And so 
you might want to use a strategy instead of putting it in session state, put it in user state, which is usually then putting it into a database that you control. Right. And this is the difference between Google and Alexa is that there is a a, a user storage um, that's, you know, that's, that's done through the request and response system. So you don't have the latency of a database. Yeah. But actually, that's a good point also. You know, just because we can send it in the request and response doesn't mean we have to. If we have, you know, uh, a shared memory uh, cache, for example, that all of our instances might be accessing, we might create a session storage there that we can store it in. And the response time will be a lot faster than than going back to the database for it, but slower than than using the request response method. Yeah, that's that's true. But with like something with uh, DynamoDB, if you're if you know like the user ID of the user and you're using that as the the whole partition key for the the value, then you're really treating it like a key value store, and so it's just going and grabbing just that item, and that's you know that's just pretty really quick. quick. Yeah, you know, hundred milliseconds. You know, something that's really really quick, and so. For every, but remembering, like behind the scenes, every request that comes in at some point, that value is being brought in from the database, and right before the response comes back, that value in user data storage is saved back out to the database. Yep. So, and and those are the considerations that we need to keep in mind as we design these systems. Yep. You know, and in some cases, if the data you're pulling from is DynamoDB, does it make sense to store the session in DynamoDB or? Do you just requery it again? That might be fine. Yep. Might not be. <laughs> yeah. And, and there might be something where you start something and you start a query, and maybe, maybe that actually does kick off a query and results get put someplace. And then when you when you're notified that it's available, then you ask for it and you can pull it out. Um, you know, I've had situations where um, I'm using things in DynamoDB and um, and I only want them around for a certain amount of time. And so I actually set up a, there's a process that you can set up that would um, in essence delete it, which means pull it out of the results. Uh, and then behind the scenes, it would actually, you know, it has a time to live and it will, and it will pull that out. Um, or you can look at something like Redis, which is an in-memory really quick key value mm-hmm. store that you can expire things out of as well. And so then, then you have the scenario where you pull something from the, you know, that really is like a true cache as opposed to kind of the makeshift cache that you're doing um, by, by storing things in session. But you could then query something and if it doesn't come back, then uh, if it, yeah, from the Redis store, then actually call it from the, the data, the location, the API or whatever it is, um, stuff it into the, uh, the Redis cache, set an expiration on it and then return the results set. And then you've got this added advantage of, of things being you know, cached ready to go really quick. Yeah. So all sorts of, of caching solutions and database options that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, needing to make sure that we deal with pages and looping through results and making sure that... What, one of the other interesting catches about looping through results, and again, I've seen this a bunch, is if you've got three results that you plan to return, mm-hmm. your 
your instinct in a lot of ways with the APIs that we tend to use, you know, with, with both ASK and with Google's various APIs, is that you'll keep calling the, the equivalent of conversation ad or result ad or whatever. And you'll do that, you know, three or four times because you have three or four results. That makes sense, right? Except that's not allowed. You're only allowed to send back a couple of simple results. And you call add multiple times and it says, why, why are you trying to send back five text messages when you're only supposed to send back one text message? So, and it's a simple solution. It's you need to build the response from all of these and you should be doing that anyway. And this is where I plug multivocal as usual. Multivocal does that for you. But when you're just starting out, you don't think about, you know, you're, you think about sending stuff back by audio the same way you think about logging it to the console. You just call console log. You can call that as many times as you want. It'll show up on multiple lines. You can't do that with voice. Yeah, and, but, but I think um, that's been a pattern or, or, or a need that's, that's happened and that you solved it in multivocal and, and Jovo in their version four has solved that as well because you right. can call it multiple times to send back a, a message back. And then at the end, it will say, oh, is this Alexa? I'm going to sponge this all into to one message and reply that once. But if it's something like, I, I, I'm guessing since I haven't actually done a Facebook messenger, but if it's something that could have multiple results back, then back it, actually, bubbles, yeah. it actually sends back multiple results and then, and then it shows up as multiple bubbles or whatever in the, in the UI for your chat bot or whatever it is. No, it's an excellent point that, again, and we've kind of touched on this a lot over the past bunch of weeks, is that our tools have, you know, we've seen the patterns that programmers tend to get, tend to trip up programmers. And our tools are now adapting to make it easier for the programmers to deal with that. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's super important. And as, as programmers, we need to be aware of it. But just like, you know, we needed to be aware that once upon a time, JavaScript used events and then callbacks and then promises. Mm -hmm. let's, let's move things towards the modern way of doing it. And over time, we will move towards that modern way of doing things. Yeah, move towards the newer versions of Node and the, the newer patterns that have uh, been added um, to, to the libraries and right. frameworks and, that we know, use. The newer, the newer libraries, you know, just... You, you don't need to stick to, to the, the skills kit and to, you know, the actions on Google library. Yep. There are better libraries out there. So did uh, we cover everything about databases that... I think I, I did have one last question. So, so this question that came up about Airtable, was the use of Airtable as a lightweight content management system? Um, I, I believe that's where Dana was going with this. And that's a, that's a good point. It's a common pattern to store the content that we want in databases of one sort or another. Yeah. And Airtable is really good because it was, it's designed to be friendly to people who aren't developers and yet still give a way for developers to get the data out. So Airtable is very common for that. Yeah. So like if your database was a SQL database or a NoSQL database like DynamoDB, unless the developer puts some sort of a web or mobile front end on that for people to put content in, then 
you know, then it's really the developers that are making content changes or, or you know, data changes to the app. And that's where an Airtable or, or some other content management system, ta-da. I, I was about to say, be, we're back on useful. content management systems again. Yes. Um, we, we, there are so many more shows that we're going to be able to do about CMSs in the future. I know this. <laughs> so yeah, you know, I, I think Airtable provides an acceptable way to do that sort of thing. Um, but I think it's, it's marginally acceptable. There are, there's still a lot that it means that we end up relying on the developers to do that we can't code in Airtable itself. Yeah. So I, you know, I think it's understandable why we want to put more stuff into things like Airtable or into spreadsheets. Um, but we need, we, we need to find better. We need to build better tools. And I think we are. <laughs> but no, yeah. an, ex an excellent point about using databases as that, that content store is a, right. is a great and important solution. And, that, and that's where you might start running into it is once you want to externalize your content from your code, then that's probably where you're going to hit some sort of a database or data store of one flavor or, or another. Yep. Well, that's been a fun conversation. It has. <laughs> and, and not just because we got back to the subject of CMSs in the end, but <laughs> you know, it, you know, databases, databases get a lot of rap about being dull and laborious, but they're really, really important workhorses in, yep. in our industry. And, you know, for developers who only have kind of a, a passing relationship to them, really behooves you to learn more about all the different kinds of databases that are out there and the different flavors and how some work better than others. Yep. Yeah, I would bet that um, something like uh, question of the day, um, maybe at some earlier you know, incarnation use something like an Airtable. It may still do, or a spreadsheet or, or something. Uh, maybe it's something custom now, I, I'm not sure. But uh, that's a perfect example of you've got a question every day, it's got answers, and there's a bonus question with answers. And that's not really a lot of information that you have to um, enter in. And you could do it at you, know, you could sit down for an hour and do a week's worth of uh, of questions, um, but uh, that's a, that's a perfect example of some sort of a data store that uh, a content creator um, is is using to feed that uh, that skill. Yep, and and another thing to keep in mind is that just because that's where the data starts doesn't mean that has to be where the data lives. Mm -hmm. So one, one very common pattern is to have, you know, if you're entering your data in a spreadsheet, that's fine. Um, but maybe it means that as part of the process, you upload that spreadsheet to something that then loads yeah. it into the database. You know, so a spreadsheet may be the way that you edit the data, but you as a developer may pull it out of an SQL or MongoDB or DynamoDB or something and you've written a process or somebody's written a process somewhere to convert it from the spreadsheet or automatically pull it out of Airtable when there are updates yep. into a more structured form that, that works faster, that works more reliable, that's on premises or whatever. Yep. You know, so 
just because the data may originate someplace doesn't mean that's where it has to permanently live. And I guess on the flip side of it is, is that you don't have to use a database for it. There might be a scenario where you've got this spreadsheet and you're publishing this spreadsheet, which is basically just saving a JSON file to an S3 bucket someplace. Or and, a and CSV to a... Yep, to a, exactly. Yeah. And it... And it um, and then the code itself of the skill checks to see uh, or pulls that that value and and there's ways that you can do it where since node runs in a process and 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 if it's everybody's getting the same list of questions then you could pull that in and cache it kind of at the process level and then as requests are coming in um, then it checks to see if it's already uh, cached sure. if not it pulls it and and that now you're using you know, something that's really quick, just to, just a query to an right. S3 bucket it, you know, to get your data. If you know that the question only changes once a day, yep. you know, you don't need to go look at your database unless you don't have the data or it's the next day. You know, so there's a lot of time that you can save in cases like that. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. We want to think of the use case and, and you know, you don't have to use a database. There's some some reasons to start small and go go to a database, but there might be some reasons just to stay small. Yep, definitely. So I think we'd love to hear uh, what problems people are having with accessing databases. You know, again, thank you, Dana, for, for coming to me and inspiring this conversation. And I'm glad we were able to work out your problem. So, you know, what problems have you had with databases? What tricks and tips do you have with the databases that you use for voice actions? We'd love to hear them. Yep. And we'd love to talk about them another time on Two Voice Devs. Two Voice Devs. Take care, Alan. Take care, Mark. Have a good week. Thank you.